Welcome to the Conscious Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Roseland. I'm a serial entrepreneur and social innovator. I like to gather people from all different walks to talk about what I call the conscious economy. I believe that we can create a more equitable system, one that honors the well-being of people, the well-being of the planet, the well-being of business, and includes art and creativity. Join us each week as we tackle a different intersection of this big but critical conversation. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Conscious Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon Roseland, and today we are here activating our planet pillar with our incredible partner with the Rural Urban Learning Association. So today we're joined by Carol Singh. She's an environmentalist and, of course, a board member and director at the Rural Urban Learning Association. It's so much fun working with you, Carol, and I'm so excited to have you here today. So let's start off by talking about your personal journey to becoming an environmentalist. How did that start and and where does it begin for you? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here, Rhiannon. I'm really glad that you brought me on your podcast. So where did I start? Um, I mean, so I think it started off when I was really young. I think we can all relate to not having a whole lot of material items. So I had to find ways to be creative with my surroundings. And I developed a natural relationship with nature and the environment from that. I think it also really and truly stems from my parents' background. Um, They're Canadian immigrants. They immigrated from Guyana in 1988. And, you know, when they, they were born on very two small, low populated islands. So they've taught me a lot about what it means to live as a community. They had a lot of agriculture on that island. There's things like coconuts, pineapples, mangoes, which grew in different parts of the city. And in the 70s, at that time, the government was really focused on that nation producing agriculture, and they didn't want to have a whole lot of imports. So they really had to rely on producing or perish. Mm. And it was really tough for them, but they had to naturally learn how to survive in that type of a political system. And they really relied on each other. They had to rely on people from different areas of the country to trade with other areas, to trade in the market and to sell to other countries in order to make money. And it was a survival of instinct that they had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this being instilled in you from them, you came to really understand and appreciate a what nature gives to us in terms of being able to allow us to survive and the resources it provides. And then also having that community sort of passion instilled in you. So that's really beautiful. And so you were born here in Canada. And so when you were growing up, what were some of the ways that you found yourself connecting with nature when you were younger? I didn't have much toys, so I had a backyard, and it wasn't even a huge backyard, but we grew plants. I think it's almost like they just had that so instilled in their behavior that Mm -hmm. I observed the tomatoes that were growing in our backyard, and I found little ways to, I mean, make games for myself and games with my siblings in my backyard, and then as I grew older, I I guess I didn't really, I lost touch with that part of me because I was so focused on just growing up and being a kid. When I was 15, David Suzuki came to my high school and um, in order to actually listen to him speak at his seminar, um, not everybody was allowed there, but in order for students like me at the age of 15, we had to write an essay to explain why 
or what the youth can do to relate to their environment or to help mitigate the effects of climate change. And mm -hmm. I didn't really think about it that much, but at that time, I wrote an essay and I, I wasn't even sure what I was going to write in it, but I essentially wrote that I don't think that, you know, people like myself or the youth can really do anything to help the environment because we have no say in anything. And I wrote a very long essay, but I think somehow someone, whoever made that decision decided that, you know, I deserved a ticket. And then I got to listen to David Suzuki speak and listening to him speak about how urgent it is. I realized that it's not just about what the youth can do. I think everybody needs to do their part in order to mitigate the effects of it. Mm. And so did that, is that what drove you to then study and, and take that path in university? Because I know that's where I met you. You were, we have a mutual friend who is a professor of environmental studies and that's how we became both involved in this incredible charity, the Rural Urban Learning Association. So is that what it was? Like that spark of interest, obviously when you were a kid, but then you get to hear David Suzuki speak and all of a sudden you feel like this is your calling, this is your path. Yes, it wow. is. Wow, that's mm -hmm. so special to hear that story because again, we fail to kind of think about how sometimes just one instant being able to hear one special speech or being able to connect in some special way can actually change someone's whole trajectory or remind them of that innate passion that was always there from when you were a little girl. So I think that that's just so special and cool. And so did anyone respond to that essay that you wrote about how you didn't think that youth had any any say in it? And do you still feel that way now? No, I think after listening to him speak, I really changed my mind. It was a very humbling experience to think that I knew an answer, but I changed my mind. And it was the first time that I really experienced something like that. And wow. it was the first thing that ever really challenged me, but I don't feel that way at all anymore. And I, it's not a matter of what can we do. It's what we need to do. Yeah. And now I know, obviously, because we keep some good company at Rula, where, you know, we're surrounded by people that share the same passion. But when we really think of the broader picture and we think of the intersection of, you know, the environment and the economy, and we think about sustainability and how important that is, but how elusive it feels like that so many people, when we get outside of our bubbles or circles, aren't thinking about this in such a deep way. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that is? Why is there such a disconnect? Mm -hmm. So what I'm really enjoying seeing right now is that I'm seeing a lot of different companies that have sustainability written into their mission or vision statements, or it's directly part of their uh, corporate social responsibility, which I'm really excited about. And I've just noticed that we're having a lot more conversations about sustainability these days, and it's great. It's the first step to us starting it. But I think what causes the disconnect is that we just don't know what to do next, and we're not really entirely sure about what the actual solutions are. And it's great that we're talking about it, but now we need to create a safe place where we can actually discuss the solutions. And they're probably not all, there's not a complete plan for it yet, but mm -hmm. it's going to require some organized discussion around it. 100%. And I know in, you know, working with you over the last couple of years, you're someone who's really passionate about this idea of knowledge sharing. And so can you tell us what that means to you, knowledge sharing, when it comes to climate and climate solutions and, and what that might look like? Mm -hmm. So I think it really stems back to the concept that every person that you meet has something that you can learn from them. And there are times, and I really relate to this, where I know the answer to something, but I haven't always felt comfortable speaking up. 
for instance, we have a room, we have leaders, we have engineers, we have architects, we have planners, we have janitors, it doesn't matter who you are. I think everybody has a different way to think about things. And we can't always focus on one method of how we want to think about things. We need to look at different things from different perspectives and different angles. But you know, we don't always feel comfortable saying them or we don't always get the chance to speak in the way that we want to. Mm. I think that's so true. And that's been such a philosophy embedded in the way that we work at Conscious Economics because true innovation comes from having those multiple voices around the table. And it is so true that sometimes we go to the traditional expert or like the talking head on an issue when in fact, a young person who's living in a space that has had, you know, climate impact their life may have something profound to say that could have an impact on policy or someone who's in a different position let's say a janitor let's say somebody who is living on the streets outside and how they might be able to articulate a point that we may not have thought about so Mm -hmm. I just think that that's such a beautiful concept and I couldn't agree more it's very new economy Carol, you're so new economy. Um, And it's really exciting for us here at Conscious Economics and in particularly on this show to invite new folks into this conversation around the planet, around climate, because it does kind of feel removed in some way. And I don't know, like for me, I always felt like it kind of felt elitist in in the beginning of the movement. It felt like the people that were able to focus on those things were wealthy, is what it felt like for me. That when I was watching my family kind of struggle to put food on the table and work multiple jobs, there was no time to think about how we're going to save the planet because we were in the survival mode. So it's interesting to kind of see now how more and more people are starting to pay attention, but that also intersects with the urgency of the issue. Like we're watching, you know, climate change and the climate emergency unfold in front of our very eyes. So do you think that there's enough urgency right now with these changes that we're seeing and the conversations that we're starting to have? Or do you think that there needs to be something more done? I think the urgency is definitely there. But unfortunately, sometimes we think we know what we need to do, but it doesn't always happen unless we have an actual timeline, a plan, budgets and because unfortunately we live in a world of time budgets projects and we really need to think about how we're going to have the goal um, what a 10-year goal looks like and what each step towards that 10-year plan is Mm -hmm. hold that thought we have a quick word from our partners before going back to the episode This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, RBC Investees. Backed by expert human advisors, RBC Investees is a smart, online, automated investment service that allows you to invest with low effort and low cost. Open your first RBC Investees account and pay no management fees for your first year. Plus, start investing with as little as $100. Simply visit rbcinvestees.com slash getinvesting and sign up using promo code AA407. And now back to the episode. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the work at the Rural Urban Learning Association and some of the projects that you feel most passionate about that are happening within the organization. Mm -hmm. So I think one of 
I guess what I'm the most excited about with what we want to do with Rula is that we want to create safe learning space where we can have all different types of people. It doesn't matter where you're from or what type of position or what type of industry that you're in to be able to speak freely about what they think the climate solutions are and to just really discuss how we can navigate different solutions together because we want to make a place where everyone can talk to each other, where everybody feels comfortable and where everybody feels equal. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to make an active effort to actually educate each other because sometimes we're afraid to ask questions. We're afraid to ask the silly questions because we don't want to end up embarrassing ourselves in front of each other. But that is what we want to take away from our fear. Just, yeah. We want to remove that barrier of being I afraid. think that that's really important because I'm going to out myself right now. I've been really afraid in these particular circles as someone who I think understands the parts that I understand. I understand the business piece. I understand the economic piece. But when I get in with really sort of deep climate activists or environmentalists, sometimes I feel challenged because I don't always understand even like I didn't even know what permaculture met or, or meant until Angelina came and kind of shared a little bit more deeply. So I feel like a lot of us are just catching up because it hasn't been at the forefront of even in education. We talk really broadly about recycle and reuse and reduce and plant trees, but we're not talking about the technical solutions that are available. We're not talking about some of these different systemic ways of thinking about the issue. And so it is cool to invite new people in. What are some of those solutions? Like, can you break down one of them for the audience and like teach us about one right now that you're passionate about? So I met with an individual a couple of months ago that spoke a lot about battery storage and he was really great at it and he just had all this complex information that I was unable to follow and I don't know like I, I wanted to learn more about it but and I know that he wanted to share more about it but we just didn't have enough time to actually discuss it plus I think like there was a tough way for him to really explain a complex amount of information within a limited amount of time so um, it's something that I'm gonna have to research on my own but I would definitely say um, battery storage is one of them that we, where we can really harness renewable energy and save it and use that at a later date. Mm. But that's one of them that I would I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's been so cool to learn about all of these different um, solutions. And so I know that Rula also wants to build what we're calling a climate solutions park, which would be a physical location and a space where you could actually interact with some of these different technologies and solutions and people that are driving those solutions across Canada. And that seems really exciting. It's surprising that there's nothing like that already available, mm -hmm. but it's a really, really exciting project. And again, I just think about all the intersection and all the different things that seemingly maybe don't feel like they're part of the movement that actually are like mm -hmm. fashion for for instance mm -hmm. we were talking on a couple episodes earlier about this idea of fast fashion and just the way that we consume as a culture and how those things impact our climate and how those things impact not only our climate but the way that business produce so if we keep you know, buying those pieces, then they keep producing them. But do you think that our generation or the generations under us are going to change their consumption, you know, patterns or habits in order to make that dent or, or is that too far of a stretch? I think they can. And I think that they will just because it seems that 
our government system is kind of headed in that direction and because we've been having more conversations about it. But I, I have the sense that they will, but they won't understand why, because I think it's going to slowly be implemented more in our internal policies and within our infrastructure. But yeah, I mean, I'd say yes. And it's almost because they don't really have a choice. It's just we have to reach have no net choice. zero by 2050, and we have a lot of targets in place. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a lot of people say that Canada is a little bit more sheltered just because we do have the different seasons. And so when we look at other places in the world, especially hotter locations, we're seeing that people are having to migrate because of climate change. And I think that this will only continue as, you know, things unfold, unfortunately. So it is becoming more urgent because we're actually seeing the impact. But at the same time, it can feel so huge and so daunting that people don't know where to start. And we're so ingrained in our behaviors in terms of the way that we consume, the way that we shop, the way that we eat, and all of those things are connected. So what I'm kind of getting a sense from from you is you think that policymakers are going to have to really step up and start to shift things for us in some regard. Yeah, I'm a little bit um, results driven. <laughs> yeah, so you you like to focus there. And I think that it is important. It was one of the questions when we did our launch of Conscious Economics in 2020, we asked the question, who is responsible to tackle climate change? Is it individuals? Is it corporations? Is it governments? And I think it is a combination, but it's definitely the corporations and the governments that have more power to be able to then shift things in a different way. I would agree with that. Yeah. So what would you say to the young people that are watching right now that A, maybe want to get involved with Rula and then B, also just want to do something but don't know where to start? Well, I would say you can start by doing some research. You can start by having conversations and you can start by looking at your daily habits. Start to think about um, your ecological footprint. Try to find little areas that you can improve because sometimes it just takes that first step to start moving forward. I mean, it might be as simple as replacing your plastic bag at your weekly grocery shopping trip into a reusable bag. It might just be sorting your recyclables. It might just be knowing where to dispose of your batteries. And then I think have bigger conversations around it and start to expand to your family. How can they reduce their ecological footprint? Talk to your teachers. You can also get involved with RULA. Um, you can become a member. And did you ask me about my social media links? I didn't, but you can share that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you can follow me on Instagram. My name is uh, Carol Has a Plan. And you can also follow me on links, LinkedIn as well. It's Carol Singh. Awesome. And you do have a plan and I'm excited about it and I'm excited about the work that Rula is doing. I do think that more and more folks need to get involved with this mission. I think if we all kind of start to work together, we can make a lot happen and it is the conversations, even though they feel scary sometimes because you almost don't want to know or hear the result of what's happening. But I really do think that that can make a huge transformation. So thank you so much, Carol, for being here with us today. Thank you for everyone for tuning in and we will see you next week again on the Conscious Economics podcast. Bye for now. 
This podcast is brought to you by CPP Investments. At CPP Investments, they never lose sight of the long term. They invest the Canadian Pension Plan Fund to help provide financial security for generations of Canadians. They diversify the CPP fund across geographies and asset classes to access the best investment opportunities and generate sustainable long-term returns. The fund is now more than $400 billion. To learn more about their investment performance for Canadians, visit cppinvestments.com.